0: Welcome to another edition of the Litigation Psychology podcast brought to you by Courtroom Sciences Dr. Bill Kanaski. Dr. Steve Wood, Dr. Wood, how are you today?
1: I'm good, Bill. How are you?
0: Um, I'm a little nervous cuz this guest makes me nervous. He's, he's been <laughs> yeah. on the he's been on the podcast several times. He's I like his shirt though. Fast. What does that shirt say allegedly? Allegedly. W- with with a period, not a comma. Yes. I like that uh mr mike bassett trial attorney dallas texas mike how are you doing this morning
2: well gentlemen thanks for having me on the show
0: it's always good to have you on the show by the way let's get started with that how uh, before i go on my rant here which <laughs> which i, I, I want to get bassett's uh take on my rant. mike give us a little update on on your uh podcast because i know i mean uh, i've been listening to it get all the uh, updates on it um it seems to be a great success
2: You know, we are very fortunate. It started during COVID and we have now gone on two years of doing the production. It is just fantastic. I did, I recorded a session yesterday on bullying and the law. And as always, I learned a bunch of new information. I really enjoy it because I get to talk with people much smarter than I am about things law and unlaw related. So it's a lot of fun. And so thanks for asking. I really enjoy it. It's a good outlet.
0: Can you give us give us the full name of the podcast and where people can find it, Mike?
2: Sure, Legal Grounds: Conversations on Life, Leadership, and Law. Anywhere you get your podcast, Stitcher, Apple. There's probably a bunch of other platforms that I'm not smart enough to know.
0: Outstanding. Uh, I'm in the new podcast studio today. Um, as this drama unfolds, everybody knows this: the 21 year old moved back in the house. He has now officially taken over 100% of the man cave. I've been booted from my own, which questions my masculinity and manhood right there. I've been booted out of my own man cave and it's been taken over. And now I'm in my master bedroom. vast what you cannot see and what Dr. Wood cannot see to my immediate right, a huge pile of laundry. And to my immediately left is the litter box. And I'm going to transition into litter box here because we're going over, we're having some family finance meetings this week. I have blocked out some time since the 21 year old is now back and uh, officially on the payroll again. Okay, per month, let's go back. I promised you guys this after the last podcast, per month in pet food, $250 to $300. Wow. Holy shit. And you want to know why? She's buying all the gourmet stuff. What whatever happened to like alpo like a big old bag of alpo,
2: right? What, I mean, do you do you have a lion or like an elephant or what did you get?
0: It, it's a it's a medium sized dog, uh, half lab half half hound dog. But then the cats too, and you got to take into account their digestive system. I don't even get me started on the vet the vet bills. I'm not I'm not going to go there because I don't want to lose my mind on this podcast. I'm just saying, whether you have a kid or have a pet. Very expensive endeavor. Mike, do you have pets there?
2: Uh yeah, we've got uh, two dogs. Yes. And they can be expensive. But see, dogs are by choice.
0: Well, we have a mixed family here. Cats,
2: dogs. Not Steve, cat what do you got person. going on over there? Not uh, a cat person.
1: I, two dogs. I'm not did you say you're not a cat person, Mike. I am not
2: a cat person.
1: Neither What's am I wrong no. with you.
2: Dude, cats, cats. jump jo- cats jump up on the counter where you make your food. That's all I'm gonna say. That's all I'm gonna say, Bill. Yeah. But they, they're kind of self-sufficient use the litter box. You know, you know. Walk,
0: yeah, you walk, you come in and they're like, meh. Uh, I have very loving cats. I like my cats.
2: You know, if I'm I okay want that, that reaction, I can walk into my law firm every day. I get meh <laughs> every day.
0: <laughs> uh, okay. Well that rants over with, uh, yeah, but you know, any, anybody out there pets, if you need, you may need a secondary income to afford those these days. Um, so, Mike, what we want to talk about today, well we want to talk about a lot of things um, kind of related to the whole nuclear vert topic, but getting uh, some of your um, experience here. And the one thing that uh, Dr. Wood and I have, have noticed, um, particularly when we come in late, later on cases, which is usually a nightmare, i not a big fan of that. I like to be coming in on the first floor, not the fifth floor is um, kind of how a case is originally worked up, particularly very early, uh, can largely um, determine determine your fate uh, legally, strategically,, uh, uh, economically. And I know uh, particularly with witnesses that have already been deposed and then you know Steve and I come in and you know try to <clears throat> work with them for trial. Yeah, we can do that, but if you have a lot of <clears throat> damaging testimony in the can, that's tough to deal with amongst other things. Mike, tell us your experience about because uh, I know uh, there are times when you get called in on a case and maybe two years has gone by or years gone by um, and, and about how the early case management is really so critical for future success down the road.
2: Yeah, so <clears throat> I think of early case management is like laying the foundation for your lawsuit. And I was having breakfast with a former judge about two weeks ago, and he made a comment that is so true. He said, cases are won or lost, either great settlements or great verdicts on our toes, not, in on, not on our heels. So I think that that's important. I think early, okay. to me, early case handling is important because it sets the tempo and it helps you gain momentum. And tempo and momentum are two things I think we as defense lawyers need to do better at seizing. One of the things I'm now a huge proponent of is in the first 30 to 60 days, we need to be focus grouping cases just to test themes. Because think about it. We all deal with catastrophic loss cases. If I get a big, bad truck wreck in within 30 to 60 days, I sort of have a feel for what's going on in the case. Yeah. We need to focus group that case to see what resonates with jurors and what doesn't resonate with jurors. I think we need to be out kicking over rocks, and that means interviewing everybody within our client, going out and talking to witnesses. And something I think that we may have lost during this pandemic is you do not aggressively defend cases by Zoom or sitting behind your desk. You have got to get out in the real world, go talk to truck drivers, go to trucking terminals, go talk to witnesses, go talk to troopers, and get out and see these people face to face. I think that one of the things we defense lawyers need to do much better at, Bill and Steve, is educating our clients and carriers early as to why we need to invest this money to build a strong defense for them and or their insureds. And that's on us, because if we don't do that, folks are not going to part with 55 dollars $75,000 to do an early focus group unless we explain to them the return on investment. And finally... My last thing on that is this, and I sort of have a rant. Um, communicate rant. just well. Yeah. Communicate just like they vote in Chicago, early and often. <laughs> okay, yeah. so we need to communicate very early on with clients mm-hmm. and carriers what's going on. We need to communicate with them the investment that we think they need to make and why, and why it benefits for them. Mm-hmm. And we as defense lawyers need to get better at doing it. And I think we got to stop hiding behind well, the carrier won't pay for it. That You need to educate the carrier and the client as to why they can't afford not to invest that money.
0: Let, let's, let's talk about that because uh, this is the story of my life um, with that exact email or um, phone call. You know, client won't pay for it uh, at any point in the litigation, uh, much, much less early. And uh, I'm approaching my 19th year of, of doing this or I'm in my 19th year of, approaching 20th, excuse me. I cannot think of one case in my career where there was active early intervention like you were describing, and then behind that was a negative outcome. I I cannot think of one case. Every single case that it's been handled that way has turned out to have a favorable outcome for the defense. Yet that happens that does not happen very often now one of the objections we get particularly to these early focus groups which by the way that's what your adversary is doing that's what the plants bar is doing yeah we're going to talk about that oh yeah we are going to talk about that but the common feedback we get from both attorneys and 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 claims managers is that well it's so early in the case not enough discoveries been done we're going to waste our time with the focus group which is complete bullshit Dr. Wood, what are your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, that's what I that was just, I can't agree with you more on that is, you know, or we say, do it early so that you can help to develop with discovery, help yeah. formulate some questions you could ask witnesses during depositions. And we get to, yeah, we don't need that. Yeah, we don't need that. That it, It's too early for that. We'll We'll wait till it's later down the road. And then a lot of times later down the road never actually comes.
0: With, with, the, with the point being, and so I'm working on this. Actually, Steve, you're working on this case too. Our case, let's just our case in uh, the Midwest. Yes. Right? <clears throat> from, <laughs> from a state you're very familiar with, right? Uh, I'm talking to this legal team and we're doing an early uh, focus group. And uh, we were driving to the airport the other day after a couple of days of witness prep. And this attorney leaned over to me and he goes, this is the smartest thing I've ever done in my career. I said, really, why is that? He goes, because we're going to get answer. He goes, discovery is still wide open. We, none of our witnesses has testified yet. If I know how a jury feels about key issues in this case, that's going to help us in our witness prep. That's going to help me train my expert to get ready. These are, I mean, what a position to be in. And we have a good client that has fronted the money to do that. So it's a trucking, very sophisticated client that has figured this out. Very, very important. Mike, if you have, and again, the point here being is you don't need a bunch of discovery to test the key issues in the case. You know what happened. You have some of the key evidence. You probably have some video and pictures. And stuff. Yeah, we could spend a day on that alone, right? I mean, Mike, How? I mean, as, as you're preparing in discovery, particularly uh, during witness prep, If you had jury level feedback about the ins and outs of your case and you had that before testimony occurred, how would that change your, the effectiveness of your preparation?
2: Well, it narrows it and it really, it's not a shotgun anymore. It's a rifle. And we don't, we don't waste time on things that we may think are important and are really not and can focus on the issues Where we're going to take on water, and how do we mitigate that? And then what are the weaknesses in the plaintiff's case that we can capitalize on? But it's, and that's always good information, but 60 days before trial, that bet is made. Great information that sometimes we can do nothing about. And again, I come back to this it's our job to educate clients and carriers. Here's why we want to do this, and here's how it will. Help you, and it will help everybody on the team, because one of the things I'm yeah. going to touch on later is the best plaintiffs lawyers I work up against. They got a plan. You may not know it, but they got a plan, and they're very methodical in how they do it.
0: Oh, oh, oh! oh we're getting there. Now, g-
2: going back to this focus group,
0: I want to really justify this. So, another kind of barrier, and Steve, I want your thoughts on this, is that well, people haven't been deposed yet, so we don't have that testimony to test. My response is bullshit. <laughs> you know what your people are going to say. We can we can put a, a a summary of of what they're most likely going to say at deposition. I mean, Steve, you don't need testimony to run a focus. I mean, it's nice to have testimony, and you can do a subsequent focus group with actual deposition clips. Yeah, we definitely want to do that. But you just you you need the story. You need to test your story early. And you, you need to interview your people during the witness prep process on what they're going to say, what their key answers are to the key, you know, what, why, why not questions. And that's what you can do in your focus group. You don't need the actual deposition yet. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think a lot of times, you know, we, we don't even have it all the time, right? We don't have a lot of videos when, when we're doing these focus groups and stuff. And to the other point is how hard would it be to just say, you know, this is the witness A, they're going to say X, Y, and Z. I mean, like you said, you don't need the actual question, answer, question, answer, snippet from the transcript. You You can just Mm -hmm. generally say this person is going to testify or this person testified. I mean, you don't even have to say it's going to right? the jurors aren't going to know Just say they testified to that and, and, and lay it out generally what they're going to say, because that's all, that's all jurors are going to understand anyway. Right. As far as the general gist, of what it was that the witness said, they don't need the exact word yeah. specific in that. So to your point, I think it's 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 not necessary <laughs> that you have the actual deposition transcript or video.
0: And then call, I mean, call your expert. Hey, <laughs> give us a summary of what you know you're going to say, right? And then here's the other. Well, we don't have the other expert's depth. You ask your expert, what's the other guy going to say? They know this is not this is not effing rocket science, folks. But you know what? It is an excuse not to spend money. I hate to go back to this, but Mike, like you said, it's the we don't we're deterred from spending money up front because uh, as the insurance defense industry, our jobs to save money. Well, the plaintiff bar has been taking advantage of this for a long time. And, and Mike, again, no one wants to talk about this and people don't believe it. This is absolute fact. The plaintiff's bar does more jury research than defense. Hands and defense and, and they, and they do it earlier. And, and, and you know, this right, Mike, I mean, this is a no brainer.
2: I, I know it for two reasons. One, I have it done to me when I'm defending cases and two, yeah. about 30% of my practice is a mediator. So I get to go in the plaintiff's room and yeah. visit with him guys. They focus group discrete issues. They will focus group a discrete issue and they will bring people in and they may run 10 cases by them, a group of people, and it will be a discrete issue. What about the fact that the driver lied on his application? What does that mean to you? What about the fact that our client, the plaintiff, had a prior back injury? What does that mean to you? And these plaintiff's lawyers will tell me, yeah, we focus group this issue. And then we focus group to this issue. And so it is being done. And if we as a defense bar don't do it, we do it at our own peril. We that really is- do. And no one can complain when we get beat like rented mules <laughs> because we didn't do the work.
0: Totally agree. Now, um, let's let's transition to a more controversial uh, topic. And uh, Mike, you and I had a discussion about this earlier in the week. I have subsequently talked to roughly 10 other defense attorneys and boy, the, the votes and the feedback were all over the map. Steve Wood knows exactly where I'm going with yeah. this. Is The traditional mindset of defense counsel, traditional, um, is uh, when I'm defending my client's deposition, uh, my fact witnesses, uh, my, my corporate rep, uh, I'm not asking them shit <laughs> during the deposition. I don't want to show my cards and I want to get my witness out of there. I don't want any follow-up questioning. I don't want to extend the length of this deposition. I see no reason why I should, unless I'm clearing a couple things up, right? Spackling the wall, if you know what I mean, filling in some gaps, but then I'm getting the hell out of there. Whereas I've, I talked to a couple of other attorneys said, huh? But if they play that video at trial, which I think varies from venue to venue, judge to judge, I may be stuck with that. And what if it doesn't go go so well at at trial? No one's really a, a agreeing on this. I, I will say seven out of 10 of the defense counsel said I'm not asking my witness anything <laughs> at that deposition. Three out of 10 said I very well may, depending on the type of case and circumstance. Um Mike, where, where where do you stand on this? Because the use of the use of deposition video is certainly not um, congruent across venues. I know on some venues you can only use it for impeachment purposes. Other venues you can play it in your opening statement. Where are you at on this this issue? Because I, I I see I see this as particularly if if, if a plaintiff has just just uh dist- destroyed that defense witness they have a high motivation to get that video in
2: they do <clears throat> so i will tell you in texas you can play video you can play depositions at any time <clears throat> of course subject to the court allowing the testimony in and what we are seeing more and more now is plaintiffs lawyers burning down the case in a the deposition they yeah. burn down the case in a deposition of course they've got their testimony they cut it down, they take a six hour depo, you get the greatest hits in 55 minutes and you play it. And if the judge pre-trial allows a testimony in, you play it in opening statement. And so I I gotta tell you, I used to laugh when people would say, well, we're just gonna play depots. Well, I'm a convert now, (sighs) I'm a convert that that can be very, very persuasive. And what we're hearing plaintiff's lawyers now get up and say, ladies and gentlemen, you're going to hear testimony from these three witnesses and you're going to it's going to be by videotape. It's before the defense lawyer got to meet with them and bring them in here to testify a trial and to kind of clean them up and polish them. You're going to hear their raw, honest testimony because I took their deposition a year ago. And so they're setting it up. So now if I bring the witness live, the jury's like, oh, this is the guy that they tried to clean up. That's going to come in and try to change what his or her testimony is. So I will tell you, I think it is very effective. It has got to be a it's got to be a case by case decision on whether you're going to question your witness. But if your corporate representative is key to your case, I got to tell you that I'm thinking you say to the plaintiff's lawyer, you know, you can do this deposition, obviously, and you get six hours. If it's at the end of the day and it's five o'clock, we're coming back tomorrow because I'm going to question my witness and I'm not going to do it after six hours of of getting a deposition. Because as you and Nunley talk about in your article, witness fatigue is real, it's real. Absolutely. And so with the fact that these cases are, these lawyers, these plaintiff's lawyers, Bill and Steve, they are trying their case in this deposition. Of course. And they are going to torch your experts. They're gonna torch your corporate rep. They're gonna torch your driver. And then they're going to go into mediation and they're gonna exert the maximum pressure possible on the carrier or carriers to get the case settled and while it's great to say well i'm going to save my stuff for trial folks cases aren't being tried anymore i know i mean we've been (laughs) i mean i've been fortunate enough to try six since last june but cases are not being tried anymore so if you're going to make your case to me this is one man's opinion you need to make it in your deposition a couple of other things I think we need to be blocking three full days of witness prep plus the morning of. Three full days. Easy. At a minimum. Easy. Yeah. And not back to back to back. No. But, you know, Spread them out. a week out, a week out, a week out, and a week out. Because if you're not doing that, we all know what happens. Yeah. And if you do not, and let's say you want to get some testimony out of your witness and you don't ask it. Well, what happens if that witness no longer works for your company by the time the trial comes up? What do you think your chances are of getting them to come back and get beaten up at trial? Like zero to none. (laughs) But if you've got that testimony in the can, Mm -hmm. the plaintiff finishes their cuts, you put on your cuts, and I think it's just a lot more productive.
0: Yeah, I mean, I've built a career off off of this really is training these witnesses the right way from the neuropsychological angle, combining with a legal expert like yourself for strategy and themes. And you put that together and Mike, then that videotape turns into a big bag of nothing, nothingness, no leverage. I can't tell you how many emails I get per year from a trial attorney. that said, our case just settled at a great amount. And the depots were never used us uh, never used against us in mediation. You want to know why? The investment was made. The investment was made early, right? And that that highly pays off. But I tell you what though, I, and this is just again, this is my nineteen years of this, both with trial and 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 through 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 doing mock trials and focus groups. I, I have found that 90% of videotape deposition used at trial is pretty much useless. Steve, I don't know your thoughts on this, but I, I've seen nine out of 10 times when a plaintiff attorney says, we're just playing videos. I'm like, great, half the jury's going to be sleeping. and no one's effing paying attention. Um, Steve, you're a social psychologist. I mean, the difference between in-person and video is, is, is this, now the information is there in both mediums but the per- psychological perceptual differences are astonishing right
1: yeah i mean you're talking about watching a a play versus watching a movie right you have yeah. you have when you're watching it on the videotape like you said it's not as engaging you know the the witness can't look and and sort of Engage the jurors. It's it's more or less just kind of like you're watching a movie or you're watching something as a secondary bystander, a, a,
0: a one-sided movie, which exactly. is another which is another problem with this. Yeah,
1: yeah. So obviously, to the point is, you know, calling the witnesses live is going to be a lot better, is because then you can you can see the see the person, you can gauge kind of their their personality, who they are, what type of person they are, watch yeah. their body language, all of that. And you can do some of that in the video, but not quite as much as you can when you see the person live and you know you can also get a sense too for when you're in the same room with someone a sense for kind of how genuine yeah. they are and whether or not you you like them and trust them and do that yeah. so definitely a big difference between video and in person when you when you bring a witness
0: yeah just the jury attention span of of yeah. watching of watching a, a video is is this is this is this brutal whereas that you know interaction uh with the questioner uh live um is, is very very different so jerry i guess pun intended jerry's still out on that one um but i think it's a case-by-case basis if you have questions about this yeah call it yeah call me i'll tell you about my experiences but i think there are some cases in where you may have to call an audible um mike bassett You have run into, uh, Mike, you work on important cases. I know you work in transportation um, amongst some other areas uh, as well. And um, I'm not saying that you're old. I'm saying that you're (laughs) experienced and you're wise. Okay, you're very experienced and wise. I'm not That's that's what
2: you call in Texas, putting a shine on a turd.
0: Okay, well, I'm gonna shine this turd by saying you're very wise and experienced. You've come across- You've probably come across some some kind of mediocre plaintiff attorneys. You've probably come across some pretty shitty plaintiff attorneys. And you've probably come across some badass plaintiff attorneys. When we look at the badass plaintiff attorney subcategory, what are some of the characteristics that you have seen over time that tend to resonate with these folks?
2: Yeah. <clears throat> so I went back and thought of the lawyers I've worked with that I think are really, really or worked against and worked with Here are the characteristics. They are always pushing the file, always pushing it. And they've got a method that they're doing and they've got a plan and they're pushing their file. If they don't get what they want, they're going to file a motion and get court intervention to get what they want. They develop their themes early. And, you know, because you can tell by their questioning what they're developing. They focus group their cases early. Uh, They create maximum risk at every deposition. They create maximum friction at every deposition. They drive a wedge in the case with every deposition. They are detail-oriented. They are very, very detail-oriented. They're prepared. They are so prepared for every event that they show up at. And I will tell you the plaintiff's lawyers that make me stay up at night and worry are the lawyers that are professional, polite, yeah. Don't raise their voice, but are very businesslike. Those are the lawyers. Those are the lawyers that cause me pause. The lawyers that scream and yell and shout, they're difficult to deal with. But from where I sit, those are not the lawyers that worry me. The lawyers that worry me are the lawyers uh, around there. And we know them that will call you when they sue your client, Bill or Stephen, they'll say, hey, Bill, Mike Bassett. I'm just, you know, I saw you filed an answer. I wanted to call and introduce myself. I'm going to be in town in a couple of weeks. Can we go have dinner, have drinks? Let's just talk about that case. Those are the lawyers that that really cause me to be concerned, and those are the lawyers I tell the clients and the carrier: be ready, because we're about to play in the big leagues.
0: Okay, Mike. Now there are some attorneys that um, do not come across as particularly professional. Um, really push the lines, uh, particularly when it comes to one, one, would, one would say um, uh, ethics, uh, the rules that uh, can be uh, very aggressive, if not overly aggressive. H- how do you prepare your clients for, for that type of an attorney? Because um, some of those attorneys have been very successful. And you know you see other attorneys say, wow, well, this person's successful. Maybe I should follow the same type of pathway. How do you prepare your client for um, for for a client that's that or for a uh, plaintiff that's so aggressive.
2: Well, I go back to this. The first thing we have to do is communicate that to our clients and carriers. And if you come up against a lawyer against whom you've never worked, then it's our job to go out and get intel and figure out what that lawyer's mo is, because lawyers are like everybody else. If they have something that is in the past worked for them, frankly, that's probably going to be their go-to. Yeah. So our job is to let the client and carrier know. Hey, listen. We have cases with this lawyer. We've had cases with this lawyer. And here's how this is going to play out. We don't want anybody to be surprised. The cost of litigation in this case is going to go up exponentially because of this lawyer. Then next, you've got to prepare your witnesses. And what I would do is show them some of this lawyer's, show them some of the lawyer's depositions so they get a feel for what it's like. So they get a feel of the, I won't say parlor tricks, the things that these lawyers do in depositions. And you and I have worked together, Bill, with various types of lawyers like this. And we know, okay, you tell the witness at one point during the deposition, this is going to happen. Let's talk about it. And then when it does, the witness feels better because they feel like they have been prepared. The best thing we can do is communicate to our client and carrier, this is what's going to happen here's how we can best defend against it. Let your witnesses and everybody know. And then what I do, even if I've worked against a lawyer time and time again, I will find out lawyers that have gone, have gone against them recently, and I'll pick up the phone. Good idea. And say, hey, what, what was going on in your case? What did you hear about this? How did this issue come up? And let me get back on my small soapbox for a minute. And I've said this before, we in the defense bar suck, suck, suck at sharing information with it's each other. It's terrible. And, and I don't know why.
0: It's terrible because if a plaintiff attorney is going up against Mike Bassett, they're on the phone talking to other plaintiff attorneys that have gone up against Mike Bassett. That's what they do. And that's 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 a good thing. Good hats off to them.
2: Right. And they get deposition transcripts and they get trial transcripts. And we as defend, the defense bar need to do better at it. Because, listen, if I do well in a case against lawyer A, and you come up against lawyer A, Bill, and you call me and are like, Mike, my, I got another client that's got this lawyer A. Do you know anything about them? I'm going to share everything I can yeah. because that's going to help you help that client. Because here's what I'm waiting for. I'm waiting for the next plaintiff's lawyer to ask a jury for a trillion dollars.
0: Oh, that's that's coming in my lifetime. Oh, Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, and the only reason that happens is they're getting billion-dollar verdicts. Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> and, they're, well, and, they're, and they're asking for them,
2: mm-hmm. right? Yes.
1: Mike, so, I, did um, want to ask, I did want to ask a question, actually, though, when we're talking about kind of aggressive plaintiff attorneys in, in the approach to it. You know, we, Bill and I have talked on, on the podcast before, and we've talked about it at speeches about how plaintiff attorneys are a lot more aggressive. The defense bar is not quite as aggressive you know, and we've seen that plaintiff attorneys who've been like this have been more successful. And I guess, you know, what are your thoughts as far as should the defense bar kind of change tactics? Because I know, obviously, watch a movie or watch, you know, any other kind of TV show, they always portray the defense, you know, and these corporate defendants as the big sleazeballs. But when it comes down to it, a lot of times it's more of the plaintiff attorneys that are more aggressive. And it's more of the defense attorneys who are kind of playing it even keel and, and not quite going up to the to the line you know what are your thoughts as far as should the defense bar start to be a little bit more aggressive should the defense bar start taking some of the you know plays from the playbook of the plaintiff's bar where they're starting to go up to that line a little bit more
2: good question good question. yeah and so i'm going to answer that like any lawyer would so it depends on <laughs> what defense. you mean by define well def- depends on what you mean by aggressive so here, here's something i have learned in my career you, it takes years to build your reputation and you can lose it in a minute. Yep. And so the question you've got to ask yourself is, is this behavior that I want to be known for? All right. Because I think you can be very aggressive as a defense lawyer and still be very professional. Sure, you yeah. can be super aggressive and be, and be firm, but <clears> still <throat> be professional. And and oftentimes in these cases, Let's face it, we go in and the jury knows how the case ends. it knows how the story ends because somebody died. And more often times than not, our clients have some share of responsibility. So I think that we as defense lawyers, this is me talking, need to be mindful when we go before juries because if you've got some exposure to stand up and be a flamethrower, man, that you know that gun kicks harder than it shoots. And so I think we need to be careful. But to answer yes. your question, I do believe, Um, Steve, we can be much more aggressive in how we prosecute cases, not, and this is me, you know, if I'm, if I'm deposing a widow, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to blow up a widow in a deposition. Will I blow up an expert? Yeah, because you know what? They paid the price. They know what they're doing. Uh But we can be aggressive in the way we push these cases, and we need to be. But the way we treat each other and the way we treat witnesses if that's if that's what a client wants from me, I'll bow out. I'm not going to do it.
0: I agree. I agree. All I right. I hope let's that move.
2: I hope that answered your question, Steve.
0: It
1: did, and I think it gets to the point when you say, "Is I think it goes back to what do you mean by aggressive?" Right? Yeah. You don't necessarily have to be the table pounder and in, in the person who's raising their voice and, and being a bully. I think to your point, aggressive is how how you work up a case, how you how you address the case. How you how you look as you're going into it versus um, how you behave as an individual.
2: I want the truth. Yeah, you can't (laughs) handle
0: the truth. There is
2: no CLE ever (laughs) in this world that is not complete without Tom Cruise and Jack Nicholson going. Okay,
0: Lieutenant Caffey. All right, let's let's wrap this up with one final topic. Uh, And Mike, you're going to laugh at this because I, uh, I you know Steve and I work with um, a lot of. younger, you know, middle-aged attorneys, uh, they're, they're, they're looking to get to that next level. They've, they've tried some cases. They've been successful. These are your 40 somethings, right? Early 40 somethings. And I've had several of them say, you know, I want to be the here. Like I want to be the SWAT team or the Navy. I want to parachute in on a case and save the day. And I just, I haven't done that yet. And I don't know how to, and my first response is, well, okay. Have you seen your Psychologist or physician, like get your <laughs> get your freaking head examined, number one, because uh, they they know it pays well that the excess providers will fork over a lot of dough to have an experienced parachute attorney come in and attempt to you know pull a miracle here. Um, now let's just assume that this is a positive thing. I'm trying to maintain my nonverbals here to not burst out in laughter, but Mike, you've done this before. Uh, Could you provide, because we have a lot of uh, younger, middle-aged trial attorneys on here uh, that listen to the podcast. What would you be like, kind of like your do's and don'ts of uh, parachuting? My first piece of advice is know when to say no. Hey, would you like to jump on the Titanic and go for a ride? F, no, you don't need that. I would pick and choose carefully, but Mike, you're the trial attorney and you've done this. What are your thoughts?
2: Well, I think the only way you know the do's and don'ts is if you've had it done to you and you've had it and you've done it to somebody else. All right. If you've had somebody come in a case and be hired to come in and and handle the case over you, or if you have been hired to come in over somebody else. So here are some of my thoughts. Uh, Don't ever bigfoot anybody. Just because some excess carriers hired you to come in the case doesn't mean that you know shit about the case. Mm -hmm. The lawyer handling the case has built the foundation. Next, do not, do not, do not run down the lawyer that is handling the case that you're coming in on top of. Because you know what? At some point, the client and or the carrier thought enough of that lawyer to hire him or her. And if you come in and start talking about what a jack wagon they are, which you're essentially saying to somebody at the carrier or the client, you didn't know what you were doing. Okay? Oftentimes, lawyers... (laughs) You get asked to come in on cases where the underlying lawyer is doing a great job, a great job, but somebody else wants another set of eyes on the case. If you are jumping into a case, first thing you said, Bill, is right. You don't have to say yes. Yeah, uh, I got two calls last year from folks that said, listen, we've got a case uh, and we want, would you come in and help try it? And I'm, I said, was talking about it, listening to it, talking about it, listening to it. And I thought, no, I'm going to hard pass because I see the train wreck it's going to be. Yeah. I know what it's going to cost me emotionally and physically to go try the case. And I can't do any better than the lawyer handling it. So I said, pass. And sure enough, both cases turned out to be train wrecks. And so you don't have to say yes. Another thing that you need to remember is lose the ego. You are not going to go in and win that case by yourself. Yeah. You are not. You, if you do a good job on the case, it's because the lawyer that you're coming in that has been handling the case and his or her firm is working with you. You are not doing it by yourself. I think if you get parachuted in, if you jump in, there's some words you should keep out of your vocabulary. One is should have. We should have done this. Well, you yeah. know what? That ship has sailed. Saying it now is of no moment. So in words matter, because if you come in and you torch a lawyer, the embers from that bridge you have burned are going to float through your career and they're going to burn a bridge of yours. I agree. And trust me, this is such a small community because I can reach out to either one of you and say, listen, I've got this plaintiff's lawyer. Do you guys know anything about him or her? And while you may not, you're going to know four lawyers that do. Yeah. Do you want to be known as your career throughout your career is a lawyer, it's hired by excess carriers and comes in and and trash talks other lawyers? Yeah. No. I've seen
0: it happen. I, I, I've, seen, yeah. oh, I've, seen, I've seen it happen. It's a delicate, it's a delicate situation because uh, I've been the consultant on a case where I was in the middle of, I'd already been retained, and then the parachute attorney came in. And sometimes they tell me to F off and they bring in their own. Okay, fine. Other times the carriers like, oh, no, 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 stay stand here. But you're and and I so I've witnessed this transition. I've seen it handled very well. It's a very delicate process, I'll say that. I've also seen it handled not so well, like you're you're describing. So I, I think th- that is something very important. And I think that the the younger trial attorney that's gonna do this for the first time needs to be aware of some of these things so they don't step on a landmine.
2: Well, and and here's how the conversation goes, because the best lawyers that do it, I've learned from them. Hey, Bill, Mike Bassett, I was hired by the excess carrier on this case. I've looked at the file. You've done an amazing job. I'm not here. I'm not here to get in the way. I'm here to help (laughs) you. What can you know, when can we get together and start talking about how we 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 are going to defend this case? All right. Well, it's human nature. If I come in and say, hey, Bill, Mike Bassett, I've been hired by the excess carrier. I'm sending somebody over to get the file. Well, your first thought is F you and your <laughs> horse. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. And so it really is a lot about because these relationships and if it's done well, you can make friends for life. I still remember a case that i we we're parachuted into him in Row, Louisiana in 2000. I still do business with the lawyer who was handling the file that I came in and worked with. She's an wow. amazing attorney. So it can be done well. And because remember this, it will happen to you. Yeah. I don't care how much swagger you have, some excess carrier is not going to like what you're doing. Yeah. They're going to have their lawyer and you're going to get a call. Hey, Mike. This yep. is so-and-so.
0: <laughs> yeah, absolutely right. Well, this is a great, uh, Dr. Wood, um, what do you want to conclude with? I, I think the theme here, um, I think, and we talked about a lot of important things with, with with Mike on this podcast. I really think the most important theme here, which came up over and over and over is, is the early intervention, both yeah. with jury research and witnesses and, a i just don't think there's any excuse not to do it um but b i i I think it can have a profound and it has again we we do have clients that do that and boy are are they the best clients to work with because they want to win and winning doesn't necessarily mean winning a trial it means getting the case resolved in a favorable way um and um I mean, Steve, are we on the same page where I think early intervention is the main thing here?
1: Oh, yeah, again. absolutely. I mean, I, I I can't stress that enough. We do not talked about that over and over and over again about early intervention because nothing we, nothing we dislike more than the call of, hey, we go to trial in two months. Can we run a mock trial? And can you analyze the data and get everything to me um, seven days after the mock trial is over yeah. and help me develop themes before I go to trial? I mean, it's like, trying to do all of it and cram it in you're it's like you're cramming for the bar exam, you know, or you're cramming <laughs> for your, your qualifying exam. And then you're going to yeah. wonder why things go sideways because you, know, you, you weren't fully prepared. So yeah, absolutely early intervention on all aspects of the case. The other thing I will say is we need more Mike Bassett's out there and we do. Uh, go, go, go listen to the podcast. He's got a lot of good stuff on there.
0: No, we do. And he shares a lot of information. No, I, I think, um, And this is not the Mike Bassett ass kicking, ass kicking, ass kissing episode. Well, it 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 started out with the ass kicking episode. (laughs) 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 I I, 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 I do agree because I think what what Mike's figured out, and and I'm sure when Mike was younger, he thought differently, but we see a lot of turf battles amongst defense attorneys and a lot of protection and they don't want to share information. They don't want to help anybody else. Because they're, they're trying to grow their career and they're protecting. Mike, is that the kind of self-protective mechanism early on in one's career that really uh, hinders them from sharing information and, and, to, and to having more of that helping mindset towards uh, other defense attorneys?
2: Yeah, and I think in their defense, because I, I was that young lawyer, you're trying to make your bones, you're trying to set a name for yourself, you're operating out of fear a lot of days, yeah. and you don't want to do anything that you think is going to hurt your career. <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, as you get older, as you get your ass kicked, all right, and as you go up against these good lawyers, you realize it's all about helping others. And here's, my, here's what I want to end with, and this is to my defense brothers and sisters on the side of the, this side of the, the aisle. These plaintiffs' lawyers are training their attorneys, and I think they're doing a fantastic job. They are working their cases up. Somebody on the defense side is going to have to be on the pointy end of the spear to try these cases. Somebody is going to have to do it. And it is up to us to step up and help each other get ready to try these cases. And we only do that if we communicate early and often with our clients and carriers and among ourselves. Seriously, you are not going to lose any business if you hand over your cross-examination at trial transcript of this witness. Trust me, trust me. And if you're worried about losing it, then that's a bigger issue. Then, like, go see somebody that can ask you, can refer you to.
0: <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Steve, thanks for uh, uh, coming on as a co-host as usual. Mike Bassett, thank you so much for your 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 infinite wisdom, and uh, of course, we'll of course we'll have you back, and we'll we'll be in touch soon. You and I pretty much are in communication constantly, um, but it's really wonderful to have you on the show again. And I know that our 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 viewers and our listeners are going to get a lot lot out of this.
2: Bill and Steve, thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: And to our audience members, thank you so much for participating in another edition of the Litigation Psychology Podcast. See you next time.